Hello, you are listening to What Are You Looking At? A podcast produced for Contemporary Art Tasmania by myself and Pip Stafford. My name is Thea Connell, and this episode is Unpaid Labour, an investigation of the nature of working in the arts as an artist or arts worker. The current arts landscape in Australia is bustling with vitality, diversity and artistic ambition. Yet funding opportunities for artists and arts organisations have been continually eroded on a state and federal level over the past decade. In this climate, it becomes increasingly important to reflect on the conditions of the artist as worker. Artists, who lend their cultural capital to gallery spaces and institutions, often have to navigate gallery fees or hefty commissions rather than get paid for their work. Arts workers such as gallery interns, assistants, curators and administrators are often told paid work comes after you've done your time volunteering. In the context of artist-run initiatives, we tend to understand that there is a common good artists and art workers are striving for. But how do we navigate this complex web and balance what we give and what we receive in turn? And how do we combat the expectations that shadow paid work on how much extra time and effort you must commit to the cause? In short, how do we define what is okay and what is not okay when opportunities within the arts often seem so competitive and limited. We decided it was time to ask some questions about unpaid labour in the arts, and also why we feel we should work for free. We have been asking these questions in the context of the 2017 Hobie and Ali. The Hobie and Ali was an ambitious arts festival that brought 18 artist-run initiatives together in Hobart over two weeks in November, showing artwork across a range of traditional and non-traditional exhibition sites and hosting talks, screenings, get-togethers, performances, and more. The Hobie and Ali also relied heavily on the generous spirit of a swathe of volunteers who made this huge festival happen across so many sites and so many days. Not shying away from this, the Hobie and Ali crew teamed up with NAVA, the National Association for the Visual Arts, to present a public discussion centred on unpaid labour in the arts. We managed to interview a few of the speakers involved, including Shannon Goodwin of Bus Projects and All Conference, Penelope Benton and Brianna Munting of NAVA, and Grace Herbert, the Hobie and Ali co-director, co-chair of Constance RE, and co-founder of Visual Bulk, a project space that we started together in Hobart two years ago. We asked our interviewees to help us define when it is okay for artists and arts workers to work for free, and why artists and arts workers would deem it okay to undertake unpaid labour. Here's what Brianna and Penelope of NAVA had to say. When is it okay for artists to work for free? I think uh, particularly around the ARI discussion, uh, if you're looking at the vision or purpose of organisations and you're wanting to give back to your community in some way and there's an ideological um, impetus for you to contribute, whether it's to dialogue, whether it's to managing space, whether it's to giving a community who aren't represented the opportunity um, to show work, to present work, to talk, then um, if you're going in knowing all these things and knowing the purpose, then it's okay. But I think when you're dealing with publicly funded organisations, projects, institutions, it's never really okay for artists not to be paid. I completely agree. I think that really the only time when it's okay for an artist to work for free is when it's self-initiated, when they've made their own choice, their own project, their own anything and said, I'm, I want to do this because I want to do it. But if they're being asked to do something, they, they should 
be offered payment. Artists and arts workers work for free for a range of reasons. Um, one is because they genuinely want to make stuff happen. Um, but the second one sometimes is probably the most corrosive one, which is the idea that if I ask for a fee or if I start negotiating a fee, I'm going to lose this opportunity. So it's linked up into this concept of constant competition as well. And sometimes it's also because artists don't know their rights and they're not able to um, articulate those within the negotiation process. Agreed. I also think to add to that is um, artists and arts workers might work for free for professional development. If they, particularly if they're starting out or entering territory they're not familiar with, um, it you know offers an opportunity to learn. Shannon spoke to these questions as well, swiftly identifying some of the complexities within the culture of speculative reward. DIY practice and the financial gap between different factions within the art sector. So the accepted wisdom has seems to have been, from my experience as an artist, that it's okay to work for free when you're building your career. Uh, when you're taking speculative risks on uh, on uh, building yourself, whether it be by um, trying to put yourself in positions where your reputation can be built, where people are going to see your work. Um, now, this is, I'm not necessarily saying that this is actually acceptable, but it's good to recognize that we've been encouraged to speculate a lot. So even going to university is speculation on future success. We put up, we, we pay for uni in Australia, or we put it into debt, which is also a insidious way of um, uh, looking people into a process of being... Um, servitude to, to, to debt and I think that that relates to this question about when is it acceptable to work for free because often the free work is, is supposed to be a, a calculated speculation on future reward um, and the um, a counterpoint to, to, to that really is that that is a um, is a trap <laughs> the kind of process of working for free in in a broad term is um a built on that notion of a kind of uh, uh you know jam tomorrow um process of of working in the arts is um is has gone on for a long time and uh the arts is very close to um, great wealth um so there's a huge disparity in terms of what um uh artists are expected to, to do in terms of speculating for, for future gain um, and those who exist around what is thought to be the um, the main art world the art fairs big buyers big collectors big galleries these things are um, uh, replicate the disparity felt in broader society around the gap between rich and poor um, corporate tax avoidance, all of these things that are currently in the news in society are replicated somewhat in the arts as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, that's where um, it's interesting then to recognise or not necessarily to, there, to, to necessarily say, okay, well, this is okay to work for free. I think probably where, where this notion of um, uh, free labour is perhaps more um, 
uh, can be more championed, I guess, is when uh, within the roots of kind of DIY practice, and I guess that comes from uh, whether it's politically engaged art, whether it's collaborative community uh, practice, which um, has a, which is not done necessarily for careerist ambitions always, but uh, is done for the benefit of either the community or the scene or to create a space where people can meet and converge or um, volunteering for community radio. All of these kind of things have a, um, a, a social good that is um, uh, perhaps sits out uh, perhaps sits outside of what I was critiquing before. If we're talking straight up why without leaving aside maybe the, the sense of for the common good, uh, which you know I think is something that a lot of people do in a lot of different sectors to make the world a better place, right? So people, yeah, I don't know, uh, creating you know shared childcare spaces, whatever it is that, that some people do in other countries to make services available to, to people more generally. I think uh, there is a, the main reason, well, one of the main problems is, is this notion of speculation um, that uh, is implied onto a lot of creative fields, actors, etc. Um, the I think that's a, probably um, a little bit different in, in other uh, other sectors, maybe, I don't know, I don't, I'm not an architect, I'm not a designer, I know that those uh, fields have industries that, although hard to access sometimes, are ready to take up their work and their pay rates are set uh, in a way so it's not to undercut each other, etc, etc. So I think there's, um, you know, a little bit of, of something to be looked at there. But I think generally, uh, artists uh, have, a, have a, there's an implied trajectory which says that you'll work for free for a bit and then you'll become known and successful. And uh, the, uh, it doesn't seem that the, 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 the uh, ecology is, uh, backs up that speculation. While artists and arts workers navigate this complex terrain of what is acceptable and what is not, organisations who do operate with different levels of funding have to make choices about who is paid and what that means for the direction of the organisation. We asked our interviewees, how does it shift or change an organisation when they start paying staff wages or artist fees? My name's Grace and I am the co-chair of Constance Ari and one of the founders of Visual Bulk in Hobart and uh, Liam, James and I facilitated Hobie and Ali together sort of via Constance and the Constance team. I think when you, when you receive funding, there's also a lot of pressure around how you use that funding and whether you meet the kind of goals that you've outlined in getting that funding and quite often... Um, to get funding, uh, your application needs to be kind of growth or development based. And so then there's kind of this continual impetus for the organisation to grow and develop. And then a lot of the time the paid staff members take on uh, that burden as well as just sort of turning up and, and doing their, their work, the maintenance of the space, the administration. There's also a burden of like, how is this organisation going to grow or how is it going to improve or how is it going to um do this or that that they've sort of outlined in their grant application or that is expected of them as a result of their their funding um but i guess that's making the assumption that the uh the artist run initiatives ability to pay staff comes from some kind of funding whether it be state funding or federal government funding I've been having this conversation a lot uh, an artist run initiative that I started and another one that I 
volunteered at for some time many years ago have both entered into a space where they've started to pay administrators, um, sometimes cleaners, and uh, also artist fees. And it completely shifts the dynamic for the, mostly for the other people who aren't getting paid and the expectations on the people who are getting paid um, is, um, I guess, it's, it becomes it becomes a, a never-ending, I guess, feat that once someone is receiving money for something, it tends to be that a lot of the voluntary, uh, volunteer positions start to let go of what they would do normally when it's all equal and a collective. I think in terms of the artist-run spaces, it can create a disjunction of expectation um, where those that are getting paid are expected to do the burden of the work even though the pay is more than likely minimal. Um, It also creates an inequality um, not just within work but also within expectation by the artists as well as the administration side of things. Um, On this other note outside of artist runs I think it's really important um, to note, and I'm going to quote someone else here, but everyone else in the room is getting paid by the artist. So when you're looking at larger organisations, people who might be commissioning artists or even non-arts organisations working with artists, um, the expectation is that everyone else gets paid first and the artist is usually where the budget's reduced and the artist fee becomes reduced. And that's hugely problematic because you're using the artist's cultural capital but there's no um, remuneration for that capital. Often it means that you restrict access. So whereas uh, generally previously maybe you had an open call, uh, maybe you had lots more shows because you were trying to piece together the rent from a lot of different fees and not trying to put the fees too expensive so you chopped up your space, chopped up your shows. Um, now this is talking practically about some of the impacts to the nature of a program uh, that um, are probably important to watch out for as you head towards a, a properly remunerated program where you know people are getting paid for their the work they do etc and you're moving away from that notion that people are showing because they're speculating that if they have a good show here they'll get you know either another show or uh, be recognized by you know commercial or institutional uh, figures. So we have now heard how paying wages or artist fees can affect an arts organisation. But now we want to know, if there is the possibility of funding or financial remuneration for workers, who should be getting paid first? Artists or arts administrators? Yeah, I think artist fees should be budgeted first, primary. They should um, always be the first consideration, particularly for a funded gallery or organisation. Um, and then the rest of the budget actually should follow that as key. There's, there's a, a whole lot of dialogue about the amount of work it, it takes um, and the amount of money spent on administrators to apply for funding and to acquit the funding. Should we change the model, we would actually allow free up a lot of funding to actually pay artists properly. I probably would add to that by seconding that if you're putting a budget 
together or a budget in, artist fees should be a mandatory percentage of that budget. Yeah. Um, I don't think that they should be the first thing to go if you get less money. Um, but there are also, it's about being a bit creative in terms of not just artist fees, but how else can you employ artists to then be able to put money back into the ecology as well. And one of the things that you'll find is a lot of administrators are also artists. Um, so it really is about looking at the broader ecology as well. Um, but the privileging of fees, I think, should always rest with the artists first. So for me, it's, it's, it should always, well, it, look, it should always be the artists first, right? But it depends what your what your game is in terms of it so if you're after setting up a uh, a long-term uh, venue that can set up both paid roles for artists to work uh, and paid opportunities for artists to show and i'm talking about you know decades into the future um, then it's important that the organization is stable i think that's really key for me is that it's all well and good to pull ourselves out of the trenches but um, really what you should do is, is stay, stay in the trenches and actually build ladders, right? So if you keep that metaphor going. So the notion for BUS of establishing staffing positions, paid artist staffing positions, all the people that work at BUS are artists. They, don't, they, they maintain, say, another part-time job, but increasingly they can work at BUS in, their, in addition to their practice, and it gives them a certain amount of pay. Um, and that's a very different scenario. They can care for projects, they can put their creative energy into the organisation and then into their practice. Um, and that's also, uh, I'm not staying there forever, and I'm sure nor my the other team members. So the notion of securing those positions for artists into the future means that people can apply for jobs. They can have jobs if it suits their practice. To have a complimentary job in an arts organisation, great. The complex pitfalls of unpaid labour that we have discussed with our interviewees does not translate to a dampening of the spirit and tenacity of those involved in the contemporary art scenes of Australia and New Zealand. The Hope Biennale was a great example of this. It presented the public with a view of an active and collaborative field of artists and organisations who were willing to push boundaries and start to reimagine how those involved in the arts might relate to one another. Collaboration and support trumped competitiveness. Perhaps we as artists and arts workers have a particular ability to reimagine the ways in which we can self-organise and sustain creative practice in a way that is somewhat counter to our economic system, a system that's geared towards consumption, spectacle and profitability. Grace touched on this when she spoke about funding and the political potential of working without wages. Sometimes working for free uh, is a way of sitting yourself outside of that uh, economic kind of regime and so it can be quite a, um, a beautiful kind of push against, um, a beautiful push against that, I don't know if it's beautiful, but it's kind of a, it can be amongst a group of people if people are volunteering their time and sharing their time and choosing to do that rather than working for money it can be a really nice uh, way of kind of creating a value system that sits outside of that economic um, scheme I guess but in saying that that's in a situation where people would make that choice um, I think that it's um, not okay to work for free if you're in a situation where your output is being 
exploited, I suppose. This potential is powerful, but in no way discounts the necessity for the recognition of artists' and arts workers' rights to fair pay for their huge contribution to the cultural life of our places as it stands. While we can work to imagine new models of funding and working critically within the arts, we are also existing within a system that needs to be held accountable for what it gains from the creative sector. A new approach to sustainability and collaboration over competitiveness, growth and traditional notions of success is one that demands conversation, knowledge sharing and transparency between individuals and organisations. It's all well and good to pay artists for one year and then close, but if that's not your model, then it behoves the organisation to set up stable operational administrative structures so that not only can you uh, pay for artists, but that you can then advocate for others to get paid. So if you can set up stable organisations which have these um, artist-centred um, uh, you know, philosophies, and those are stable and they're long-term and the people that are running them are not completely burnt out and mentally destroyed by working there, you can actually have this really great example for others and you can advocate for others too. Um, and you can create kind of a, all across the country, you can create these kind of anchor points that others who are interested in kind of short-term curatorial models, etc., can improvise around and um, you can use their, you can use them as points of historical capturing, you can use them as um, points, as, as safe places. You can use them as um, sites to come together and talk about um, ongoing like issues of urgency, um, and you don't have to rebuild them each, you know, each subsequent generation of people that say graduate from university or into the scene. You have some stable spaces who have your best interest at heart, and uh, I think that's for for me is is where this kind of questioning at this point comes in, which is, can you can you maintain that? Can you be as you, as you become more stable, can you remain um, honest and ethical about your artist-centered practices? Um, and how can you best agitate for a better circumstance across the country? Thank you for listening to What Are You Looking At? A podcast edited and produced by Pip Stafford and myself, Thea Connell, for Contemporary Art Tasmania. We'd like to thank our interviewees, Shannon Goodwin, Penelope Benton, Brianna Munting and Grace Herbert for their time and insights. The music is by Josh Santospirito. Contemporary Art Tasmania is a professional level public presentation platform dedicated to developing contemporary art in Tasmania. To find out more about our programs, head to www... (laughs) That sentence again? To find out more about our programs, head to www.contemporaryart.org. What are you looking at can be found on our website as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud.